the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Georgie Borman, a journalist, author, and commentator with West Coast Roots. And this is a 180 Cast Breakdown session where I take a critical look at the big ideas that shape our world and how people are changing their minds. Welcome to the 180 Cast. Hi, welcome to the 180 Cast. I'm your host, Georgie Borman. This is the podcast dedicated to changing minds, and you have tuned in to another breakdown session where I analyze some of the highlights from the 180 Cast interviews, which we do every other week, focusing only on people who have made a radical shift in the way they think on pretty big topics. And then we are also going to explore some of the big ideas that are shaping our world as we speak, debunk a little conventional wisdom, and answer messages from the 180 Cast flip phone. Before we get started, don't forget you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 180Cast. Don't be shy about tagging me. I would love to hear from you. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the top story. We have yet another mass shooting on our hands. This guy killed seven people and wounded triple that. And only just a couple weeks after two back-to-back shootings in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. So this has a lot of people wondering, are we in a mass shooting epidemic? And I have seen a lot of commentary on the right that says, no, they insist vehemently. No, 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 we are not in a mass shooting epidemic. This is not a huge problem. And They generally encourage us not to freak out because your chance of death by mass shooting is very, very, very low, and it's even very, very low compared to other gun crimes. And that's true, and that's fine to point out. But let's just look at the data. If we're if we're really going to talk about whether or not mass mass shootings are really on the rise, let's take a look. So the FBI has been keeping track of this since 2000. In 2017. There were 30 active shooters, active shooter situation where you've got a guy who's going to who is out on the loose in populated areas shooting people. Guess how many we had in 2000? We had one, one. We had we had one active shooter in 2000. That's been recorded. You know, there are issues with the media recording reporting things and maybe these are being reported more often than they were in the past the same applies to things like tornadoes and you know other inclement weather events as well reporting is an issue but we went from one in 2000 to 30 in 2017 and then 27 in 2018 and there's 19 this year so far so we are averaging about one active shooter every two weeks. 
I think that we may hit the, we may top or match the 2018 number by the end of this year. I think that's actually extremely likely. And if you look at the overall trends, I'm not cherry picking here. If you look at the overall trend between 2000 and 2019, it is definitely an upward trajectory to the point where you can't say, oh, it might not be statistically significant because the media are reporting it now than they used to, more now than they used to. I don't think that that's it. It's definitely on the rise. And I don't understand, I don't understand why conservatives spend so much time and energy denying the idea that there are more mass shooters now and more people dying by active shooter situations than there was in the past. Why is that? Why is that so important? I think it kind of runs against the idea that conservatives generally try to promote, right? Because the right generally believes that it's not the machine that's the problem. It's not the guns that are the problem. It is the human heart. It is the motivations and the intentions of the person behind the barrel of that rifle. And if you're going to talk about that, why why would you deny that it's on the rise? If you believe that it's due to ideas, if you believe that it's due to people and their intentions, what is the point of spending time and energy saying that we're not in a mass shooting epidemic? I think that it is in large part a knee-jerk reaction to calls on the left for more stringent gun control because I think that the general thinking, at least on the surface, is if we if we insist that gun violence is less of a problem and it doesn't happen very often, then maybe these people will get off our backs and maybe the moderates will side on our side and say, no, it's not really very necessary to take, take people's guns away or do mandatory gun buybacks or more stringent background checks or red flag laws or banning certain types of quote-unquote assault, assault rifles or what have you. I think that that's the reason. I don't think that this is very productive And that leads me to my second point. As I said, ideas matter. Ideas often motivate people to do very, very terrible things. So I think the conservatives are distracting from their own argument. And we need to consider, if we're going to talk about ideas, the role of internet forums like 4chan and 8chan and even Reddit, although Reddit is policed a lot more heavily than 4chan and 8chan, which are basically anarchy. Nobody's moderating those. And if you look at the El Paso Walmart shooter from a couple weeks ago, he killed 20 people, eight of them Mexican citizens, and most of them with Hispanic surnames. And why did he do that? Well, he posted a screed on 8chan talking about the quote-unquote great replacement that people who are non-white are coming to this country and quote-unquote replacing the white race and taking away jobs and ruining their culture and all of this. And this is a really popular idea, of course, on the alt-right and white supremacist groups online. This is, of course, terrorism. I mean, the, the El Paso Walmart shooter, I think, is easily classifiable as a terrorist. 
He has ideological motivations and he's willing to use violence indiscriminately against innocent people in order to make his point. And so that's, yeah, I think that that fits the definition of of terrorism. And so, of course, these forums are being moderated a bit more heavily by the the FBI. But the problem is, is that once you get onto one of them and you're tracking it, then they just move somewhere else. And it's very, very hard to to really keep track of these people and their ideas and who is actually a threat. I read an article just recently in the Washington Post talking about the role that the internet forums have in these mass shooter situations. And it's essentially like a cheering squad for mass shooters often. Once they get wind that somebody is on a shooting spree and they have an ideological motivation, you hear things like, whoa, what's their kill count? Have they beaten the high score? Just really, really sick things. And then, of course, recruiters for the neo-Nazi group um, Adam Weifen Division are also lurking around that site, looking for people to recruit for their cause, much like ISIS. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, because it's, you know, that's, that's what ISIS is doing as, as well. So get secret, isolate people who are already lonely and without many meaningful connections in the real world, radicalize them toward your own ends. So we, as I said, we can't lock down the internet. We're beyond that. But I, okay, so this is another thing that I don't understand about the narratives that are being put out on the right. And I don't mean to just, I'm not picking on one side or another here. I just honestly, I would like to point this out so that we can think about it a little bit more. A lot of pundits are saying that white supremacy isn't a big problem. That it's, it's, it's not a big problem. White supremacists are only a tiny, tiny percentage of the population. Well, so is ISIS, okay? So is any other terrorist organization that you can think of or any very small, you know, radicalized group of people who hold to a certain ideals, cultist maybe so this idea that white supremacy isn't a problem i don't get it i don't get it at all of course it's a problem it doesn't take a lot of people for something to be a problem because obviously it is and we have shooters out there who are doing this in the name of white supremacy killing jews killing hispanics killing African-Americans. This is this is really nasty stuff that we're dealing with. And I don't think that the right is doing itself any favors by downplaying that. And if you continue to downplay something for long enough and blow it off as not that big of an issue, before long, it becomes a really big issue. So those are my thoughts on the mass shooting situation. Yes, We have mass shootings that are on the rise. Whether or not you want to classify it as an epidemic, that's up to you. Yes, white supremacy is a problem. As far as the solution, I think that the deterioration of the family and the deterioration of social bonds in general, the networks of the communities is really contributing to this because, as I said, people who are lonely and isolated are easily radicalized. 
So the problem is not an easy fix. It's not an easy policy fix as much as we want the government to just go ahead and do something in order to solve this problem. This problem is ultimately going to be solved by individuals, and it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time. But it's something that we need to dedicate ourselves to and take very seriously. With that, we are moving on to highlights from the last episode, which was part two with Pastor John Speed, where we talked about um, graphic imagery in the use, using graphic imagery in anti-abortion efforts. So I am going to go ahead and play one part of a soundbite for you really quick. Here we go. And I, I would take one graphic image with me when I went, and I would keep it sort of behind my other uh, posters. And if I got into it with somebody that was claiming that, you know, abortion was okay, then I would bring it out for the shock value, but I would only use it in those cases. Mm-hmm. And so I went from not using them at all to using them in cases where people were just being completely unreasonable. Speed seems to have taken an incremental approach to using graphic imagery. And when I say graphic imagery, I mean pictures of dead fetuses on the tray, dismembered, not just pictures, you know, ultrasound pictures or things like that. Really, really graphic stuff. He seems to have taken an incremental approach to this, which is very interesting. And he said, um, not doing it, not using it at all doesn't seem to be working. Let's try using it in conversations with very obstinate people who don't want to admit the truth of what abortion is. So let's use it in those instances. So it's a tactic that is only used once a situation has escalated to a certain point seems to have been his logic. And then at that point, we move on to what I'm going to play for you next. Since the Reproductive Health Act was passed in New York in January, I mean, it's just so blatant what they're doing that I thought, well, if they're going to be blatant, then we we need to be blatant. You know, we need to really put this in people's faces and let them really see what's happening here. And so that's been my thought process or my change I found this so interesting because he took an incremental approach to using this to the point where now it's not incremental. He's using it across the board. But you can almost think of it as like when he was talking to individual people, it's almost a and and the conversation escalated and people were getting obstinate and stubborn and not wanting to admit what's going on. Well, that's just one instance in a larger narrative across the country and particularly in New York, places like New York and Vermont, which have basically no regulation on abortion whatsoever. And he said when the Reproductive Health Act was passed, that's extremely blatant what they're doing and saying we're going to deny the reality of abortion. We're going to call this health. And so the situation has already escalated on the national level. And I think that that's a useful way of thinking about this. If if abortion were just sort of a fringe issue and it weren't an issue of life or death, then maybe using graphic imagery is something that we would set aside and not use at all. But 
it does make a certain amount of sense what he's saying, his reasoning here, that we are in an escalated situation in New York and nationally where people are completely and totally suppressing the truth and it's costing lives. And so if you look at how many babies are dying every single day from abortion, which is about 3,500, then I think you can kind of see where he's coming from because there's a certain ick factor. There's a, like, that's kind of repulsive. That's so gauche. Like, why would you do that? You're, you're not helping your case because it, you're, you're shocking people and you're offending people. But if you look at it in terms of this is a life or death issue and people are dying every single day, you know, image bearers of God are, are dying every single day because of this. I think you can see where he's coming from. It makes a certain amount of sense to use more radical tactics when the other side has already escalated things to such a degree. And with that, I think we can take a break from abortion for just a second and move on to the woke of the week. Today, I actually have something positive about wokeness to share with you. I know, I know, I may have given the impression in the past that everything that is woke is bad and and neo-Marxist and what have you. That's not actually the case. There are certain things where I think that we do need to make progress in terms of race relations and ethnic relations, cultural relations. And I have a story on that front that I want to share with you because I think it is the perfect example of that. And we need to acknowledge those things and embrace those things when, you know, we wake up (laughs) and realize that we might have been doing something wrong. So in Kentucky, there is a bill that was introduced by Representative Attica Scott, House Bill 231, and it aims to protect people from discrimination based on wearing natural hairstyles in spaces like the workplace or school. A quote here from the article I'm reading from somebody who works in Covington, Kentucky. He said, we've been fighting it for a long time. You can't wear braids. You can't wear dreadlocks. That is someone's culture. They should be able to express it just like everyone else. And that's a really good point. There is something to be said for freedom of association. And if you don't want to hire somebody for whatever reason, then you don't have to hire somebody or you can turn down service to somebody for whatever reason you want, because that's a a basic freedom. But we've left that behind a long time ago. And if we are going to put regulations on associations between individuals and between corporate entities and individuals, then I think that this is a good thing to add. If we're going to fight discrimination with the law, this is a good thing to add. Why, why is it necessary to turn somebody down for a job or to give them service or anything because of their hairstyle? As long as it's hygienic, right? Because health is a, that's a real issue that companies have to deal with, particularly restaurants, as long as it's hygienic, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate based on that. So I think that that is an excellent example of the kind of wokeness that we should be pursuing. Also, 
on the wokeness front, just really quick. I finished Netflix's Another Life season one of that. They only put out one season so far of Another Life. It's a deep space saga. I thought it was really well done. And there is a character in that show who is a transgender doctor that's on board this ship. And I think that this is, okay, so this is the way they did it. They don't talk about this person's orientation or their pronouns at all. The character's name is Zane. And as far as I could tell, and I was paying pretty close attention, they didn't say this person, they didn't use this person's pronouns at all. They didn't talk about the orientation at all until a romance started up with one of the other characters on the crew. But there was nothing preachy about it whatsoever. No preachiness. No obvious points where they're trying to score political points. You may remember Woke from one or two years ago, or I'm sorry, you may remember Bright from one or two years ago with Will Smith, which I was super excited about. It ended up being a horrible movie because they were just cramming politically correct narratives down your throat and basically treating the viewer as if they were very stupid So if you're going to do that kind of wokeness, like transgender intersectional wokeness, I think that that is the most tasteful way to do it. So those of you, you know, if the left wants to take that advice or leave it, I'm just saying you would probably win a lot more people to your side if you toned down the rhetoric and the explicit points that you're making in a story and just let the story tell itself and focus on people as people instead of focusing just on their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Just a thought. Moving on. It is time to take a message from the flip phone, on which, by the way, you can leave either a voicemail or a text at 323-999-1802. So let's go ahead and get into it. I have a message left by an anonymous person who texted the flip phone where you can flip out or try to flip my position or explain how you flip-flopped. And this person may be flipping out, but in a slightly more reasonable way. (laughs) I thought this person was very thoughtful. I'm just going to read it to you. On your last podcast, you talked about the graphic imaging that the abolitionist movement is using and whether it was appropriate for children. I noticed at a lot of these protests in front of the Planned Parenthoods or at other events, they bring their children. I am sure the abolitionists think having their children there not only is a good promotional tool, like look at the cute kids, are you sure you want to end the life of yours, but also preparing them for the fight ahead. Do you think that it is appropriate or even healthy to have these small children engaging in a battle better left to adults. I agree preaching the gospel is key to turning hearts, minds, and souls, but shouldn't that preaching be done out of love and compassion so it is not just a clanging symbol? Well, anonymous person who left a message on the flip phone, I would agree with you that I do not think it is appropriate for small children to be at these events. And... I, that's something that I haven't changed my mind on. I have changed my mind, much like Pastor John Speed, 
on using graphic imagery to begin with. I generally used to think that that was kind of disgusting and you're turning people away and you're offending people and that it's not productive. Considering things that I have heard from abolitionists, including Pastor Speed, I think that actually it can be very productive. I don't think it is productive to have small children around either those signs or at the clinics where people are arguing and talking in very explicit language and there's lots of raised voices and the stakes are very high. I don't think that that's appropriate at all. Children are not meant to handle that kind of stress. They can't process that kind of violence very well. And as you may remember, of course, Pastor Speed said that his uh, son was just five when he was exposed to these graphic images, and he said that he his kid had nightmares and that it would have been better to wait a few more years until he was a little bit more mature and could process that in a healthy manner. Kids can't process this in a healthy manner at all. I do not think that it is appropriate for them to be at these protests. I do think that in the proper context and at the proper time that parents should educate their kids on the reality of abortion and what exactly is going on in our country. Those are my thoughts. And now we will move on to some debunking of conventional wisdom. Let's talk about tariffs. Should we talk about tariffs? Yes, let's talk about the trade war. So President Trump has been promoting this idea for a long time that tariffs are a really good thing. It's a great tool to use in trade negotiations, and it's a good thing in general because it's supposed to bring manufacturing jobs back home to America because you are making companies who would import things less competitive compared to people who are manufacturing things within the country. That's that's the reasoning. And on the surface, it seems to make sense. But when you look at experience and how tariffs play out, that is not right at all. For one, let's just look at the evidence from the situation of the trade war with China. Trade exports from America are dropping. Exports where we're exporting products, those are dropping. And then the manufacturing sector is just starting to contract already and it's having a lot of people worried a lot of people are on edge that we may be heading into an economic slowdown and yes it is because of the trade war the other thing that you have to note is that you're messing with global supply chains that are very delicate and very complicated and i don't know if president trump fully grasps And it's weird because he has run businesses, very large businesses. So he should know how complicated supply chains can be because they're international. If you look at the iPhone, the various parts, components of the iPhone are manufactured in a lot of different countries. And it is very difficult when you jack up tariffs for those companies to pivot and find somewhere else to do business and to have those parts made and do it at a similar cost. So you're disrupting supply chains and that is not good for American business. It cuts into the bottom line. It cuts into the top line because prices go up and that's not good for job creation. And 
let's talk about, while we're at it, let's just talk about the idea of a trade deficit. Because the reason that President Trump loves tariffs is because he thinks that this is a tool to help reduce the trade deficit that we have with different countries. So if we are importing more goods and services, a higher monetary value from China, then we are exporting to their com- uh, to their country. Supposedly, that means that we're, quote unquote, losing. We're losing to China. And President Trump has said this multiple times. This is actually a, quite a foolish way of thinking about trade. Because if you go to your local grocery store and you pick up some butter and eggs and milk and cheese and you're paying like, I don't know, $20 for that to the grocery store, you now have a trade deficit with the grocery store, right? Because you compensated them and you got goods from from them, but they didn't buy anything from you. So you have like a 100% trade deficit with your grocery store. But do you feel like you got cheated? You shouldn't because you got exactly what you wanted. And that's the same way that it works on a global scale with trade. If we are importing more things from a company than we're exporting to that company, that doesn't really matter because we're finding a, a we're finding other people to export to in other countries or to sell those goods and services within the country. The key, the cornerstone of free trade, yes, globally, international free trade is that people are free to do business with whomever they want and to pay whatever price they want on that. Can tariffs, are tariffs, you know, just a a natural tax that a usual run of the mill tax that people put on things? Yes, absolutely. But it's better to keep them at reasonable levels so that you are not forcing businesses into a hard position where they have to bend over backwards trying to fix their supply chains because all of a sudden you've jacked up the cost of doing business for them. So no, tariffs, tariffs used as a tool in negotiations where you're hiking up your tariffs and then they're retaliating on top of that and it just continues to escalate, which is what is happening with China. That is not a good thing for anybody. And the goal of tariffs is also faulty in the sense where you're trying to correct the trade deficit. Trade deficit doesn't matter. Is China a national security threat? Yes. But is a tariff war the way to take care of that threat? Highly doubtful. Highly doubtful. But it's being justified right under the national security threat rationale. Those are just my thoughts on that. As far as debunking some other conventional wisdom, I want your thoughts on this at 323-999-1802 about this narrative that has been promoted on the left for some time that abortion is, or that getting pregnant and carrying that baby all the way to term and giving birth is coercion, that it's forced birth. And so if you are against abortion, then you're for forced birth. What do you think about that? Have you changed your mind on on that and whether you, you think that that's coercion or not? Do you find that persuasive? 
give me a call at 323-999-1802 or text. And that wraps things up for today. You can follow the podcast on social media once again at 180cast. You can call the flip phone just one more time. That number is 323-999-1802. You can flip out, tell me about your own flip-flop, or try to flip my position. Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless. What I need, who I've got in the middle of a struggle, though, let me see who I am, what I need, who I've got. Executive produced by Kevin McCullough, music by Ruthie Kraft and Joachim Nordensen. Who I've got in the middle of a struggle, though, let me see who I am, what I need, who I've got to be. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.